This morning, we are going to be continuing our series of a book study of Colossians. And if you weren't here last week, or even if you were, we are going to do, be doing something unusual, at least for us, for the next eight weeks. We started it last week, and so we have eight weeks left to go. We are going to be, including this week, and we're going to be looking at this whole book of Colossians. So you're going to be here the next eight weeks, and you're going to be able to actually read through the whole book of Colossians. Hopefully, you had a chance to read through Colossians at home. You know, I showed you last week that when we look at the Bible, here's the Bible, right? And Colossians is literally like two pages out of this. It's very short. It's very easy to read at home. And of course, we're going to take nine weeks to look at it. Now, you may wonder why we're going to take nine weeks to look at the book of Colossians. I mean, that seems like a lot of time. Usually we do a three-week series or four-week series. But to really understand and to really study in depth books of the Bible, it does take some time. Uh, like a lot of things in life, my son is always trying to ask me how to do things, and he wants to do it the fast way, the shortcut way. And a lot of times I tell him, son, if you want to do it the right way, a lot of times it's the hard way, that's the time-consuming way, but it's the better way of doing things. And of course, for those of you that are parents, you know that struggle, you've been through it yourself, um, you understand what it's like. So here's what we're going to do. The secret, this is the topic, but we haven't learned the secret yet. If you read forward, which I would like for you to do, if you read forward in Colossians, you may understand in general the secret, but the secret, what is the secret that Paul is going to refer to in Colossians? It's not this secret. This is the Oprah secret, which is basically, if you believe you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be wealthy. That's not the secret. And by the way, that never worked because there are lots of people who are poor who have believed for their whole life that they can be wealthy and it doesn't really work out that way. That's not the secret to wealth. That's not the secret to life either. That's the secret to do what? Make a lot of money selling books so that you'll buy it hoping that you will be rich one day. And so that's that secret. Okay, so we now know two secrets. The second secret of which, the more important one, we're going to deal with in the Bible here shortly. But we're actually not going to get to the secret today, and this is the reason why. The reason why is that I've been hesitant to do book studies here at BBC for several reasons, mostly because it takes a lot, a lot of weeks to do a book series, but also because one of the things that I find about book series is that it is easy for us to focus on the details when pastors try to do book series from the pulpit, meaning give you lots and lots of details of what it was like to live back then, sort of what the historical perspective was, and here's the map, and here's where Paul went, and here's where Paul didn't go, and that sort of thing. And that's great, but that background information is not as useful, in my opinion, about life change. The whole point of me proclaiming the gospel to you each Sunday is for your life to be changed a little bit. Not that I'm doing anything to change your life, but me nagging you every Sunday hopefully will help you to go to God because you've been nagged by me on Sunday morning. And so, so I have no part in this. I have no share in this. My goal is just to encourage you and challenge you to live more godly lives. So the secret, here's what we're going to be doing. Our nine-week series is going to be a study of Colossians. As I mentioned last week, what we're going to do instead of looking at a bunch of details is for me to try to explain to you what the deal is with Colossians as well as the other letters of Paul. Most Christians, if they're going to read the Bible, they're either going to read the Gospels or they're going to read the letters. They, they'll read the Gospels because it's about Jesus. They'll read the letters because, well, they're short one or two pages. But the problem is, is that when you read through the letters, sometimes if you've read through Colossians, there's parts that are difficult to understand. Why is that? Well, we talked about it last week, and the reason is, is because Paul is not just sending a normal letter that's a throwaway tissue paper kind of letter that you read once and then you toss it. That's not the point of it. What Paul was trying to do was to create a 
strategic argument, I'm going to bring this back in a second, strategic argument so that people would hear and be able to really think about what God was doing in their lives. By the way, let me just mention this. I mentioned this last week, but instead of having one-sided notes, you actually have two-sided notes this week. One side, the Mad Lib side. Everybody know what Mad Libs are? I have the picture up here. Wyatt got Mad Libs for a dollar at the dollar store. I didn't know that this week, but he did. It was really cool. I didn't even know they still had them. I guess they do. And so on one side, it's the whole book of Colossians with blanks boiled down to about two phrases. It's the structure of Colossians boiled down to about two paragraphs. And on the other side is what we're going to be talking about today. Here's the example. For example, this is the side A right here. And you can see that most of you probably have the words already written in for last week. If you didn't bring your sheets back from last week, we talked about last week, way to go. You're believers now, you're growing in faith. Each week, you're going to add more and more to it. And at the end, instead of having a Mad Lib, you're going to have a biblical Mad Lib, or more specifically, you're going to have the book of Colossians, the frame of it, explained for you. Okay, so here's our strategy real quickly. Last week, we basically, if you take the idea of building a house, because that's what Paul is doing in this letter, quote-unquote, in this argument that he sends to the church in Colossae. When we look at this, last week, all we did was clear the ground. All we did was clear the ground. We did two things last week. Number one, for us, we talked about that it's a letter. And I realized last week when I used the word rhetorical, I conf- that's the right word there, but I confused a lot of people, so I apologize about that. A better word in English for us to understand would be strategic, because I use rhetorical in a technical sense, but strategic. Listen, let's say your neighbor, their spouse is really sick and in the hospital. Okay, you have a neighbor, spouse is sick and in the hospital. When you go to talk to that person, you're not going to say, wow, your neighbor's, I mean, your, your, your husband's sick. Yes. Oh, that sucks. I mean, that's terrible. Uh, must be God's will. Hey, see you later. See you at the barbecue. Why would you not say that? Well, it's cliched and it's rude and it's wrong and a whole lot of other problems with it. But if you're like me and all of you are, when you have a, a life situation like that, what do you do before you go over and talk to your neighbor? Hopefully, you think about what you're going to say. You think about it because you don't want to do what? You don't want to hurt their feelings. So you try to be strategic. You think about it and you say, what can I say here to, 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 to comfort them? I mean, even a non-believer thinks about what they say in that kind of situation before. Well, this is what Paul did. Paul just didn't write a letter to Colossians and just say, here's my thoughts. He thought through this very, very carefully under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He thought through it very carefully. Holy Spirit inspired him. And then he wrote this letter, which is really more of an argument, so the church would have it and would be able to use it over and over and over and over again. So it is a strategic argument, is a strategic letter that Paul sent for the church to be able to use in its services and to be able to use to help train up people to serve God. And we also, as I mentioned, we look in the frame of the book, and that's what we did. And last week, what part of the frame did we cover? We covered, hello, everybody. That was the first part, right? And then we did what? We cleared the ground, which is what? Paul says, let's clear the ground by doing what? Every one of you that I'm addressing this letter to, you're believers now. You're believers now. You're growing your faith. You're believers now. So what do you do now? Okay, so he was basically getting the ground clear to build the house by saying, listen, we're all believers now. Let's talk about what it means to be a believer. So he's not talking, he's not sending this letter to non-Christians. This is not for non-believers, but it's for us who are believers. So that's all we did last week was just clear the ground. Today, we're going to get the vision. We're going to get the plans out, and we're going to decide where we're going to put the house. That's what Paul does next. In building the house of the strategic argument, he says, okay, 
Now what we're going to do is we're going to put the house down. We've got to figure out where we're going to put the foundation, where we're going to put the beams, where we're going to put the roof. We've got to get the plans ready. We've got to go ahead and decide what we're going to do in this letter. So that's what we're going to do today. We're only going to look at a couple of passages, a couple of verses real quickly, but this is where Paul sets up the fa- you know, gets the vision for what we're going to do. See what the Bible says. You could also call this the challenge part of the letter. This is where Paul's saying, this is what I want. This is what I want to see. This is my point of writing. All right, Colossians 1, verse 9 through 14. If you guys want to open up in your uh, Bibles, that'd be great. Uh, print Bible, iPhone, Galaxy Tab, Droid, whatever. Does it make any difference? All right, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. So here's what Paul says. Now, this is the challenge part. This is the part where the plans are being drawn. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Now, again, we're not going to deal with the details. You can go get a book at Berean 599 on you know, the details about behind Colossians and you can fill in those blanks yourself. Those are easy. The hard part is figuring out what Paul is really saying. What's the, you know, what is the frame that he's trying to build here? Notice how, if you go back a little bit, let's see if I can go back. Notice how in, in English we translate it this way. Notice how he says, you will. You will, you will. This is the challenge part. This is what he's saying. This is what I want for you. This is my plan for you. This is my hope for you. This is the reason why I want you to listen to what I have to say. Okay, and of course, we know the Holy Spirit inspired this, and so this is what God is communicating to us right now. All right, let's continue on our Mad Lib, that you will learn more about God. This is what he's saying here. He's opening the challenge by saying, listen, we're praying for you, which means that we are going to God every single day asking God that this would be true in your life. He's saying this not because it's a euphemism. Sometimes you go to church and you say, you know, I'm feeling a little down today. And someone says, well, I'll pray for you. And we hope that they're sincere about that. But let's be honest. Sometimes as Christians, we just say, we'll pray for you euphemistically, meaning we just say it off the cuff because we think that's the spiritual thing to do. And we don't always mean it. But Paul here was very serious about this. He was very committed to this idea. He was praying that they will do what? He's praying that they will, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, a couple things here, but one of them is that they will learn more about God. This is going to be critical to setting up the other issues that Paul is going to do and is going to be critical as we build a foundation. Knowing who God is is absolutely, positively, absolutely, completely, totally, amazingly, importantly critical for us who are claimed to be believers in Christ. Our knowledge of God should not be weak. Our knowledge of God should be strong. We've talked about this in the past, that one of the struggles that we have is that a lot of times in American Christianity, we emphasize the heart. We emphasize the heart. We say, well, we love God and we have this emotion towards God, and that's awesome. But there are other aspects of who we are that has to come in play. Over the last year, we've been talking a lot about the gut, right, and how we must 
choose to follow God, how our volition, our will must also be aligned with God. We can't just say we love God and then not choose to do anything for God. That's not loving God at all, as we've talked about over the last couple months. But also, our minds must be aligned with God. Now, you don't have to have degrees. You don't have to go to college. You don't have to be smart. It doesn't matter. Those things are not relevant. What is relevant, though, is that we are constantly learning about God and that we are constantly understanding who He is and learning about His will for us. In fact, the reason why the, the gospel is the way it is is so that even a child can understand what God wants for him. And we're going to talk about why that is in just a second. But you will learn more about God. So what is Paul praying for? Is Paul praying that you will feel better? Is Paul praying that you'll have a nice life? Is Paul praying that you'll be rich? Is Paul praying that you'll be successful? Is Paul praying about any of these things? No, he's praying about what? He's praying that you will learn more about God, that you will know more about God, that you will have deeper relationship um, with God. So Paul prayed for the future of the Colossians. He was like, hey, you know, this is something I'm taking to God every day. This is what I want to see. God, please do that. A lot of us, we pray, maybe, some of us, are we guilty of this? Lord, please let me win the lottery. Lord, please let me, you know, please let this happen. And okay, it's not wrong, I suppose, but it's not necessarily God's will for your life. It's not necessarily a serious prayer that God is necessarily going to entertain for us. Why? Because most of us, it'd ruin us if we run the lottery. And you'd be poor about 4.7 years later. I would be. I'll just admit it right now. So Paul prayed for the future of the Colossians. He wanted the Colossians to do what? To succeed. But the success was to know more about God and learn more about God. As believers, our goal was to know God's will for our lives. How can you know what to do if you don't know where you're supposed to be going? Wyatt's learning T-ball. He's going to be starting T-ball soon, and so we're trying to teach him how to do it. And so I hit the ball, and I say, okay, we're practicing running. And I say, run to first base, and then run to second base, run to third base. But he don't know where he's going. He just starts running in random directions. And I'm like, no, no, that's not... That's... That's not the right direction. That's, that's, you're running to the dugout or something. I don't know where you're going, but that's not the right direction. And a lot of times as Christians, we do the same thing. The ball is in play. Our lives are going. And instead of running in the right direction, we run in the wrong direction. And of course, as Christians, we say, well, we're going to pray about it while we're running in the wrong direction. Oh, God, we're praying about it. We want to obey you. We're coming to church, but we're running in totally the wrong direction. As believers, our goal is to know God's will for our lives. Now, You know, this is a two-level issue because knowing God's will on the one hand is a very difficult, it's a very difficult enterprise. God is God and his plans are perfect and we are not very perfect at all. We are imperfect. And so our ability to understand God is going to be limited. But at the same time, let me give you an example of where a lot of Christians, I believe, go wrong. What does God want us to do in our lives? We were talking about this in one of the life groups um, on Friday night. It was a great conversation, and it was very accurate about what oftentimes happens in our, in our lives as believers. Let me use why to get an example from T-Ball. So we're out there practicing in the backyard, and like a lot of kids, pretty much every kid, you know, he just wants to get up there and whack the ball as hard as he can, and he's not thinking about where his hands are and where his stance is or anything. He just wants to hit the ball as hard as he can. And, you know, I appreciate that. But the problem is, is that in order to be a good hitter, you have to work on what? The basics. You have to work on the basics. You have to stand the right way. 
You have to look the right way. You have to put your hands in the right place. It takes a lot of patience and a lot of practice over the little things. We were doing gra uh, ground balls, and he doesn't know how to run side to side, right? So we were working on lateral side to side running. He doesn't know how to do that, he, but he, and there's a little bit, because he's four, just get ready to turn five, but he's a little bit frustration because he doesn't see the point in it. It's like, you know, why, why am I learning to run sideways? That doesn't make any sense. I can run faster going straight, but I'm like, no, no. Lateral running is really important for the skills that you're going to need when you play Little League. And so the average Christian does the same thing. The average Christian does what? They have a big problem in that. They're not really going to church very often. Okay, let's start. The average Christian in America, not really going to church very often. Just, you know, whenever Easter, Christmas, whenever someone nags them, when they feel bad, that sort of thing. And boom, they have a crisis in their life. And so they need to do what? Get right with God quick scheme. That's what they need. A get right with God quick scheme. So they come to church and they're like, oh, Jesus, I love you. And they're praising. They're all excited and stuff. And then what happens? There's no lightning bolt. There's no magic. There's no fireworks. There's no special effects. There's none of that. And so what happens is after a week, a month, three months, they don't come to church anymore, and they go back into the routine of just sort of being, I'm a Christian, but I don't, yeah, I'm the... Let me give you a little secret. A secret to following God's will is to do the little things that he asks you to do. God is never going to ask you to do something big if you can't do the little things first. What are the little things? What about just praying daily? What about just reading your Bible daily? People say, I don't know what God's will is. Okay. Are you doing the little things that will lead to the bigger things of God's will? Not oftentimes not. No. And so knowing and doing God's will is oftentimes a very difficult thing for believers, but it's impossible if the believer is not doing the little things to begin with. If you complain about not knowing God's will in your life, you come to me and complain, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a lot of sympathy for you, but I'm not going to have as much sympathy if you're not doing the little things that God asked for first. You know, we were talking about a life group because there are lots of people that we know that claim to be Christians. They're like, yeah, God doesn't really have anything for me to do in their life. Yeah, baloney. You know why? Because you're not doing any little things. You don't go to church. You're not praying. You're not going to life group. You're not studying your word. You're not studying God's word. So of course God doesn't have anything for you because you're not doing the little things. Listen, let me give you an example. If you owned a business, okay, and you had an intern who was in your business and their job was to bust up boxes, you know what I mean? That's fun, busting up boxes. That's not fun, okay? Busting up boxes, their job was bust up boxes, put it in the big trash unit thing, the big garbage thing. They're recycling here, sorry. We're in 2011, it's recycling now. Put in the garbage. And they say to you, you know, I'm really better than this. I, I'm really better than busting up boxes. Well, how are you going to evaluate whether they're worthy to move up? If they sit around all day and don't bother bust up any boxes, they're too good to do it? Or if they're the best buster up of boxes ever in the history of the company? Which one are you going to move up? The one that busts the boxes the best. That's the one you're going to move up. I know that in society today, if the lazy one is the brother of the CEO, then it doesn't count. But be that as it may, as a whole, you're going to hire, you're going to want to move up the one that does the work on the lower level. So here's the thing, is that if we want to know and do the will of God, we must be willing to do the little things. The little things includes us having knowledge of God, us learning more about him. 
You know, here he says, we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. What he wants for us to have is those things. He wants to have a knowledge of God and the understanding and wisdom that comes from the Spirit. How do we get that? Do we magically get that? Now, if you watch some TV, some of those TV pastors to sell their books, they'll tell you that. That's all you need is just, no, uh-uh, not from, what, what, what do we learn about Joshua just four weeks ago? Joshua, even before there was a Bible, God asked Joshua to do what? Read the Bible. Study the Bible. And so for us, being able to read God's word and being able to learn more and more about him is where it's at if we want to know the will of God. But most Christians, they do what? Let me just say, give one more example. Most Christians, they don't want to study. They just want to go to the test and get an A. And they're like, but I have faith. But that's not what the word faith means in the Bible. Word faith in the Bible doesn't mean go to the test don't study, get an A. That's not what faith means. That's what we call dumb, not faith. Can I say that? Sorry. That's what we call dumb. All right, so as believers, our goal is to know God's will for our lives. So we need to study and we need to learn more about God and we need to take it seriously so that you can honor God with your lives. Why does Paul want us to be knowledgeable about God? So that we can honor God with our lives. Again, let's pick it up here in Colossians and he says this, he says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will, total knowledge of will, and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. As we've talked about in past series here, spiritual wisdom and understanding only comes from God. You're not going to get it from Oprah. You're not going to get it from the stars. You're not going to get it from the newspaper. That's worldly wisdom, which can be accurate, but although can also not be accurate. But God's wisdom is always accurate and always right on. Then the way you, you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Here's the cool thing. You want to honor God? You got to know how to do it. That's, that's, that's the thing. Paul assumes, by the way, once we know God, that we will want to honor God, that we will honor God. This is a thing that Paul assumes, but that not all the time do we really follow through. And Paul knows that this is a hard task. He talks about it. But one of the, the ideas here is that once we know God, we'll want to do what God wants us to do. We'll want to honor him. When we get married, if for those of us who are married, when we get married, we hopefully, when we say I do, we will want to honor that person. We will want to respect that person. We will want to love that person. When we have kids, hopefully we will say, wow, this is my kid now. I need to shape up my life. I need to get some things squared away. I need to be the dad that I want to be. In the same way, once we have a relationship with God, there should be some inclination in our lives that we want to honor God. By the way, as a pastor, I always feel that the best litmus test probably of whether a person is a believer or not is whether they have any desire to honor God. And I say that knowing that there are people who come to church, and not necessarily BBC, but in America, there are people who come to church every Sunday who have no desire to honor God, but they come because they get some social benefit out of it. They like to hear the music for a variety of reasons, whereas there are people who may not come to church regularly because they have struggles or they have issues, and that's not good, but they want to honor God. And so the key, the, one of the biggest keys of knowing whether or not a person is a follower of Jesus is whether or not in their heart of hearts they want to honor God and they want to obey God. Sometimes we're not successful. Paul understands that. God understands that. But the challenge to honor and obey God is what is critical, is what is at the foundation of who we are as believers. So Paul assumes that once we know God that we will want to honor God. And by the way, this is what happens. When we know God, we will be able to obey God. We will be able to bear fruit, as Paul says, which means more growth. So it's kind of almost like a cycle. How do we obey God? Let me ask you like this. Could you obey God? Can you obey God 
without knowing what God expects from you? No. I'm going to share a story from someone here. I won't name who it is, but great story. It's that person's story, but I'm still going to take it, so hopefully they won't get mad. But this person is a person who is, who, whose roots are in, from another country, but they don't speak the language of that country. So they look like they're from that country. They can pass for someone in that country, but they don't speak any of the language so much of that country. But sometimes, because they have extended relatives in that country, they go back to this country, to that country. And one time they were going back, and they were just going through a government building, and there was all these signs that was posted saying, do not enter here, do not enter here. But that person could not read that language. So they just blissfully walked through, and the, security, and the, the guards, the government guards are like, hey, stupid. They called him a moron. And he's like, what? You know, I don't know. And then they realized that he really wasn't from that country. He didn't really speak that language. They thought he was a complete imbecile because here's the big words right here. It says, do not enter that everybody can read except that this person can't read. He can't obey because he doesn't understand the language. In the same way, there is no hope of you ever obeying God or honoring God if you don't know what God wants for you. You can't do it. One of the hardest things about raising kids when they're little is what? They don't always understand what you want. And it's really hard to communicate what the rules are and what the guidelines are. And a lot of times they break it because they don't understand what the guidelines are. Sometimes they break it because they're just, you know, being uh, naughty. But sometimes just because they just don't simply understand. And same way with us. Unfortunately, the problem is, is that God's not really big on making excuses about you not knowing because he gave you his word and he gave you annoying people like me to, to bug you and nag you all the time. So you don't really have a lot of excuses. You just need to get serious about knowing God. So knowing God, obeying God, bearing fruit results in more growth. Here's the way it works. You know God. You learn about God. It does what? Helps you to do what? Obey God more. The more you obey God, what happens? The more you bear fruit. And then Paul says something really important here. He says this. He says, so then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So the more you bear fruit, the more you will do what? Just cycle back around and you'll learn more about God. How do you get to know God? Well, reading the Bible is definitely one, but service is another thing. You know, this is our theme for the year, is to be able to serve God and take part in his kingdom. A lot of people say, oh, you know, I don't really know much about God. I don't really understand the Bible very well. I can't serve. Baloney. That's actually the wrong reason, because that will stunt your growth more than anything else. If you just come here and sit in church every weekend and week out and don't do anything, your growth is going to be terribly stunted. Why? Because you're not probably not bearing fruit. You're not bearing fruit. Let me say it this way, because of course we do ministry in a variety of ways. Maybe you have an awesome ministry to your neighbors and stuff like that that you know, I don't always see. It's not about what I think or the church thinks. You yourself have to be a judge of whether you're bearing fruit or not. And if you're not bearing fruit, you're not doing something for the kingdom, then your growth is being severely stunted. And it's ironic because you think that you're growing. It's kinda, this is the way the enemy kind of puts it right. He's trying to convince you that you're growing just by coming and sitting in church. But that's not really real growth. Real growth, it's a part of real growth, but it's not real growth. Real growth involves you coming to church, you reading your Bible, you praying to God, and then you acting on what God wants you to do. It's all those things together that will produce real fruit and real growth in your life. And so finally this morning, number three, is that your lives, uh, with your lives, you can honor God with your lives now that you are his kids. You can fill in, like I mentioned, both sides of the sheet because it's on both sides of the sheet. Your lives now that you are his kids. So Paul's saying here, listen, here's the challenge. The challenge is, is that we're praying for you that you will do what? 
that you will understand God so you can honor God. That's the whole point of why I'm trying to nag you and write to you this strategic argument, so that you will live lives that are worthy of God because you're now his kids. And he ends up by basically starting where he did uh, last week by emphasizing the fact that we are now his children. Paul says this, we also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So here's the thing. Paul's saying, listen, you can do this. Why? Because you're his children now. You have been transferred from light, I mean, from darkness to light. You have been transferred from the kingdom of the enemy, the kingdom of this world, to God's kingdom. You are now the prodigal son who has returned from living the high life and, you know, basically wallowing like a pig in the sty. You've returned from that. You've left that, and you've come back to God. So now's time to live that way. Now's the time to live in such a way that you honor God because you've made a commitment to God. And this is one of these things that we as Christians always struggle with because we forget that when we say, yes, God, rescue me, we are making a commitment to God. We're committing to God that we will love God and that we will serve God. And a lot of Christians in America, they don't take that commitment very seriously. They just say, it's a church thing. But it's not a church thing. It is you agreeing before God of the universe that you are going to be his child. And that's a serious commitment and one that we want to do everything that we can to live up to as much as possible. We're not perfect. Don't get any impression, especially your first time at BBC, don't get any impression that you think I'm perfect because I am not perfect. You're not perfect. We know that. Paul, the whole, the whole book in the Bible about how we're not perfect. We know that. But what God still challenges us to do is to take this commitment as seriously as possible as we live our lives. So we begin to share a tiny bit in the inheritance now. This is what's really cool. Paul's saying, listen, we also pray that you'll be strengthened, his glorious power, and you'll have the endurance and patience that you need. You'll be filled with joy. Just give some examples of how we can experience God right now. When, when we become a believer in Christ, we don't get all the inheritance right now. That's not the way it works. Um, all the inheritance we can't get right now because we live in a sinful and broken world. But we do start to get some of the inheritance. Now, don't listen to the famous people on TV. Well, they're not really that famous. Infamous maybe a better word. But the, some of the infamous people on TV, because they t- bring it down to money. You're going to be rich. That's not the, what it is. The, the, the tip of the iceberg that you get in this life of your inheritance is your peace with God and your clarity of the way to live your life. That's it. That's a big part of it. It's not a house in Cancun. I'm sorry, but it's better than that. I know it doesn't sound better than that, but it is better than that. Why? Because all the houses and money won't make you happy. All those issues don't make you happy. But knowing God's will for your life will give you a peace that will be beyond anything else that the world can ever offer because you will have clarity in your life of what God created you to do. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. So we begin to share a tiny bit in the inheritance now. We learn, we hear what God wants. And, and, and finally, bearing in mind that we have changed teams. And this is always really important because so many times when we become a believer in Christ, we feel like, well, yeah, we made a switch. We made a change. I mean, you know, I'm religious now when I wasn't religious before, but that's not what this is. You went from being a stealer to a packer. That's what you went. And that's awesome. That's awesome. 
Actually, I really like the Steelers. I really like the Packers, but I'm going to be rooting for the Packers today. So they're, they're actually two of my most favorite teams, the Steelers and Packers. But, you know, I, 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 after the Seahawks game, you know, a couple years ago in the Super Bowl with the, with the Steelers, I, you know, I just kind of turned me off a little bit to them. And so, you know, I transferred. Steelers were my number two favorite team. But you know what? Packers, they were number three. Switch sides. I, I changed. I changed. Cowboys still do terrible. I don't know what I'm going to do next year, but... But we switch, we change. It was a radical change. It's like when someone is an Oakland Raiders fan, they see the light and they go over to the 49ers. <laughs> it's a big change. It's a big change. It's a big change. Now, in all seriousness, though, when, when God calls us into his kingdom, we have left the kingdom that we were of. We, we were, people, listen, you can tell, you, people will tell you all day long, I'm neutral. I'm neutral in this conflict. I'm not religious. I'm agnostic. I'm neutral. But they are not neutral. Do not be persuaded by that argument. In, in, in God's eyes, you are either in the kingdom where you are king or you are in the kingdom where he is king. There's really only two options. Your kingdom has a king and it's going to either be something besides God or it's going to be God. That's the way it is. Now, a, a lot of times Christians get a view uh, get, the, get the perspective. Other people have the perspective Christians are black and white. Actually, the Bible has a lot of gray in it. But, and that's God's gray, not our gray. But there are some things that are very black and white. And you're either serving God or you're not. And that's what it comes down to. And so God says, listen, there are things like, you know, whether or not you buy a Toyota or whether or not buy a Honda, those are gray areas that you, we'll talk about and we'll work out. That's not the big deal. But when it comes to who you serve, who you serve is the biggest black and white thing that there is because you're either serving yourself, you're either serving someone in this world, or you have transferred allegiance and you're serving God. The Bible tells us that we are strangers in a strange land. We are aliens. We are citizens of another place and time. We are citizens of heaven. And we want to live our lives that way. And so here's the structure of the letter again. Paul starts by saying what? At the very beginning, he says, hello, everybody in Colossae. Hey, I'm Paul. How's it going? That's the beginning, right? The next phase, he clears the ground and he says, listen, you're believers. You're believers, okay? Everyone clear? We've cleared the ground. You're believers. Now, here's the plans. Here's the challenge. This is what we're going to build. This is it. You got to know God. You got to know God so you can honor God. That's the challenge. If you want to be able to have fruit, to have a meaningful life, you got to know God so you can honor God. That's the challenge. That's the house that we're going to build. That's it. Let's pray.